From the studios of WORQ in Wisconsin, this is the Stand Up For The Truth podcast. Today's issues, overlooked headlines, and biblical observations, equipping the remnant around the globe. Got your sword handy? This is Stand Up For The Truth. Hey there, it's Crash Connell. Mary Danielson, did you uh, see that email yesterday uh, from one of our listeners thanking Mm -hmm. us for for the dates? Mm-hmm. on the podcast yes and so here we are yes a fresh new podcast <laughs> tuesday december 12 2023 mm-hmm. and uh, got a great show for you as always mm-hmm. yes indeed good morning to all the listeners um it is december the 12th as crash said and um we got a great uh podcast today. For the first half, we're going to talk to Moses Estevis of Child Evangelism Fellowship. And I think that is a great ministry and uh, got to reach those youngsters for Jesus. And it's still Hanukkah in Israel. Uh, last Friday, we did a podcast on that with Paul Scharf. So if you're interested in delving into that subject, it was pretty uh, pretty meaty. Uh, give Friday's show a listen. But again, today, Child Evangelism Fellowship for the first half of the podcast and then headlines in the second half, there's never enough time to, to do headlines, it seems. But my scripture today is Psalm 145, 1 to 7. And it says, I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts, and I will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness and sing of your righteousness. Boy, that's some praiseworthy stuff. Uh, Let's pray. Um, Pray with me this morning. Lord, we do bless and praise you for who you are and the comfort it gives. Lord, knowing that you are greater than anything or anyone in all the earth, in all of time and space. Thank you, Jesus. Help us to live boldly and uncompromisingly with whatever time we have in all circumstances, knowing that eternal matters are being worked out. And Lord, let it all be for your glory. We lift up our guest Moses today and ask for a blessing on the ministry that you have established. Uh, Give grace and provision in all things. I pray for any spiritual warfare that comes about as they bring the gospel to the youth and that they would see your hand in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, my guest, Moses Estevez, Executive Vice President of Child Evangelism Fellowship. He was born and raised in Portugal. He was saved at age nine, and at 17, God called him into full-time ministry. Uh, he has served the Lord and CEF in several roles. He's currently Executive Vice President. And he believes the greatest joy for those who serve at CEF's headquarters is to do everything they can to help their staff and volunteers around the world share the gospel with the youngsters. It is an international nonprofit Christian ministry. It's been dedicated to seeing every child reach with the gospel, discipled and established in a local church since 1937. They are in all 50 states and most countries around the world, over 3,000 paid staff, tens of thousands of volunteers around the world. And uh, it is CEFonline.com. Welcome to Standard for the Truth, Moses. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a joy to be here. 
Yes, we're glad you had some time today. I know Christmas is coming fast, and we want to talk about some context there. But Moses, some you know studies vary, but overall it is said that two-thirds of Christians come to faith before age 18. So reaching kids with the truth of the gospel is critical because we have so many more distractions than we ever did. Um, even though a lot of, you know, these kids haven't lived long enough to become totally disenchanted with life or cynical, but they can understand the hope of the gospel at a young age. Um, Moses, what do you think about that? Why, you know, why child evangelism is so important and, and how young, how young is too young to understand the gospel? <laughs> Those are great <laughs> questions. Uh, I would start with the words from our Lord. He said, let the little Children mm. come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Mm. And of course, at the time, he was actually uh, had a couple of kids next to him as he was saying those words. <clears throat> and the disciples were like, shoo, go away. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're disturbing the real ministry. Mm. And the Lord said, no, these children are the real ministry. And, uh, and then, of course, also uh, Psalm 78. I, I love that psalm because it, it kind of see the heart of God in regards to children, he, he basically tells his people to tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done mm-hmm. in verse 4. And then he goes on to say in verse 6 that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn. So he begins to talk about the, ch- the children or the generation that doesn't exist yet, that that generation would, would rise and tell them to their children. So in the heart of God is not just this generation of kids, it's the the incoming or the future generation Mm -hmm. of kids. And he basically knows in order for those generations to know him, it's important that you and I and the believers today transfer the knowledge of God to the next generation, or the future generations will not know God. Mm -hmm. So this is in the heart of God, clearly described in Psalm 78. And, uh, you know, God placed that burden in the, in the heart of our founder, Mr. Overholzer, way back in the turn of the century, started evangelizing children in, in the early 20s. The ministry eventually gets organized in 1937, and he was so passionate to, to share the gospel and to bring the knowledge of God to children that when he died in 1955, so it started in 37, he died in 55, the ministry was already organized in 60 countries. Wow. And that same fire, that same passion, is in the hearts of CEF workers all around the world today. And so uh, all through the year, we have a variety of ministries and activities. And right now, of course, Christmas season is the delightful time of the year uh, to tell uh, children about Jesus. I have in front of me a quote from our founder, Mr. Overholzer. Uh, I love it, and, and I'll mention it. We have noticed during the Christmas season that the hearts of children are turned toward the Lord Jesus. And mm. so, if we do our part, we can make this season the most fruitful season of the year, winning children for Christ. Wow. Those are the words of our founder. Wow, that's fantastic. And he uh, apparently he read one of Spurgeon's sermons, um, which said, A child of five, if properly instructed, can uh, truly believe and be regenerated. So that kind of answers the question, right? Yes, yeah. he was a fan of Spurgeon. He was a pastor. Yeah. He was a fan of Spurgeon, and when he but his denomination at the time did not believe young children could come faith in Christ. Hmm. And actually, that had been his experience as a child growing up. He would go to his mother, and the mother said, "You're too young." Mm-hmm. And uh, so, anyways, that's a whole story there. But uh, he was so he, he had a high respect for, for Spurgeon. But when he read that quote that you just mentioned, he said, "You are wrong, Spurgeon." 
and he put the book down and he, and he re- completely rejected that statement. But in the days that followed, God kept bringing that statement back to his mind, back to his mind many times. And he was wrestling with it until he said, okay, I will make an experiment. <laughs> and of course, he had a lot of kids of his own, but he not, did not want to uh, do it with his kids. So he, he rounded up a few neighbor kids and, uh, and best he could, he explained the gospel to them and led him to faith in Christ, and then he backed off and did absolutely nothing, because he wanted to see what would happen. And shortly thereafter, there was a, a, a revival meeting in, in town, and he was there, uh, you know, the old-fashioned tent meetings, and when the preacher shared the gospel and gave an invitation uh, for people to come forward and trust Christ for salvation, the mother of these girls that he had witnessed to went forward. And she got saved. So when the meeting was over, he went to her and says, "Ma'am, can I ask a question? What influenced you to, uh, to t- for you to take this step of trusting Christ as your Savior?" And her answer was, "The changed lives of my daughters." Mm-hmm. And in mm-hmm. that moment, God basically confirmed in his heart, "Yes, kids can be saved and be regenerated." and be transformed by the power of the gospel, just like adults can. Mm-hmm. And that was the portal, that was the beginning of of his ministry, winning uh, children for Christ, because at the time, nobody was doing it. Wow. wow, that's a great story. Now, the vision of CEF, again, it's cefonline.com, uh, to reach every child, every nation, every day, uh, and you train and equip hundreds of thousands of teachers around the world uh, to reach kids. Um, let's talk about these Christmas party clubs. Uh, our listeners may or may not be familiar with them. What is a Christmas party club? All right. So we have, all through the year, we have different variety of seasonal clubs. We have our week, our weekly good news clubs that basically go most of the year. And then we have five-day clubs in the summer. And so, and then we had Easter clubs, a variety of clubs. But at Christmas season, we have Christmas party clubs. And um, and so what that is is children in a neighborhood or it could be in the school, a variety of locations are invited to come to a place, to a house, or it could be a church or a school, and um, for a Christmas party. And that Christmas party, it's a lot of fun. It's high energy. It's games, um, songs. Uh, they're going to hear a, a lesson, a story, a lesson, um, and in that sharing of that lesson, there is the, the sharing of Christ, the sharing of the gospel, and also an invitation. We believe in CEF, we, we believe that invitation is part of the gospel message, and so inviting children to trust Christ, and, and there's a whole counseling that takes place, and all the CEF methodology that takes a little bit of time to explain, mm-hmm. but it's a lot of fun, and um, more games, more activities, snacks, so it's a lot of fun, but the central part of it is that children are going to learn the true meaning of Christmas. Yeah, yeah, and they definitely need to hear that with all the materialism that's out there. What's the theme this year of the Christmas Party Clubs? Certainly. So every year we pick different curriculum, and we have a variety of Christmas lessons. This year's is God Keeps His Promises. And so we actually we actually start the lesson from Genesis, uh, you know, the fall happens, and the first thing that God does is He promises one day there will be the seed of the woman, which is Christ, that will defeat Satan. And, and so it's God's provision for the problem of sin. And then that takes us to the fulfillment of the promise, mm-hmm. the story of Christ and and His birth and death and 
burial and resurrection, and, 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 and that's how we share the gospel. So in this particular lesson, so every, every year we have a different uh, literature series that we use. Great. And I think I, what I was saying before um, is I like the theme because oftentimes in this world, as, as you know, failed and ruined humans, we don't keep our promises, and kids see adults that don't keep their promises. But to understand that our Heavenly Father does from Genesis to Revelation, keep his promises is such a great overarching theme that maybe kids can understand that they have a Heavenly Father who really cares deeply for them. So I think that's a great theme. Uh, last year you had a lot of impact. What were the some of the numbers last year of the Christmas Party Clubs? Well, last year um, we reached 6.2 million children mm. in our Christmas uh, uh, outreach. Of course, that's not the whole year. That's just that season. Mm -hmm. But um, we have a unique strategy to do this, and that is our workers, we try to encourage our workers not to teach a lot of clubs themselves, but to train, mm. train, train, train. <laughs> and so they will train believers from churches and uh, in large numbers. So this year, the goal was to train 300,000 volunteers. And so uh, our staff train a lot, and uh, and then those volunteers catch the vision. We provide the material, and they go and gather children and, and teach them. So our goal this year is to have around 330,000 Christmas parties wow. with 10 million children in attendance. And these take place around the world. Mm. I mean, it's just amazing the stories we get back. For example, um, in Kenya, uh, some CEF workers sought to reach the children in this, in this uh, part of the country called Kalapata. Unfortunately, uh, because of problems with political wars and so on, most of the families had already run away for safety, and those who were left were very suspicious that these workers had come to spy on them. Hmm. But once they realized what they were doing, they were glad uh, when they understood they had, they had come to bring the good news of the gospel to change their lives and heal their land. So that, that's a neat story I heard from, uh, uh, from Kenya. Also from, you know, in, in some countries, our, our, our workers experience a lot of persecution. Uh, for example, in this story, after a, a Christmas party, a Hindu lady came around and she beat several of the children who had heard the gospel and who had trusted Christ for salvation. Oh. So sometimes the persecution is on our workers. Sometimes the persecution is on, on the kids, you know, with people from other religions that mm -hmm. don't agree with, with what we're doing. Uh, we, had a we have amazing answers to prayer. For example, in Romania, uh, workers wanted to train um, volunteers to reach children in the capital city of Bucharest, but they didn't have any contacts there, so they were trying to figure out how we're going to do that. So they decided, let's just pray. Let's pray that God will open the door then for us to do that. And soon uh, a trainee was set up because of a man that had been reached as a child in our weekly Good News Club, but now was living in Bucharest. And through, through, that, through that contact, he was able to round up a group of believers to be trained. And, and so there's many stories in the training settings, and then some of them are quite secretive. For example, in this country in the Middle East, I can't, I can't say the name of the country, but uh, churches are being closed, gatherings are being banned. But we were able to, to gather secretly 13 pastors from eight different locations to be trained. 
And one of them reported that he had been teaching children during the worship service, but he didn't really have materials. He didn't really, uh, he doubted the children were able to understand. But after the, the training, he says, I am so motivated and I love. Oh, my goodness. I think we lost him again. We're just getting to the testimonial part of all this. Sorry, we're having technical issues. We certainly are. This is this is just unusual. It's a little spiritual warfare today. Um, yeah, you were praying about that, and yeah, there it is. Yeah, there it is, <laughs> and it, it does happen. Now, if people want to host one of these, a Christmas party club, do they go to uh, an area that has a CEF chapter? Or how, how do they go about doing that? Yeah, so with here in the U.S., so we have 400 offices, mm. and so... Um, uh, it's easy. Uh, it's fairly easy. You go to cefonline.com, and then in it, we, there we have a chapter finder. You put in your zip code, and it pulls the closest CEF office to you. Okay. And so then you can con- send an email to that office, say, hey, I'm really be interested in hosting a club or mm-hmm. teaching a club or helping at a club. And so that and that worker will plug you in, get you trained, get you screened, and, and uh, you can get involved. That'd be, that Yeah. What what a great thing to do if people really have a heart for kids and they want to do something like that. And I know a lot of churches have trouble finding children's church volunteers. Uh, you know, do you do you have trouble finding these, or do you just go with whatever God provides as far as uh, people who want to lead these? Yeah, a lot of times, most of our ministries we do it through church partnerships. Okay. And so, for example, our weekly Good News clubs in the public schools are all done through uh, church partnerships. So it's teams from the church. So usually when. It, the nice thing about Christmas Party Club is is easy. It's it's a one time thing, so it's low mm. hanging fruit. Sure. People say, "Yeah, I can I can do a one time thing." You're not committing to mm. do something weekly, you know, for a mm-hmm. year or two. And so uh, people will come, and and then what happens is they get the vision, they get the heart, they get the passion, and the importance of ministering to kids. And if they if they see a, two or three kids in that party club giving their hearts to Christ, that is life-changing for the teacher, for the volunteer. And so then what happens many times is these people fall in love with it and says, well, I want to do more of this. And it's easy for them to plug in in Sunday school, you know, activities of the church or other clubs from CEF to continue ministering to kids. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you have, now you've mentioned Good News Clubs. Now that would be uh, schools, community centers, uh, neighborhood homes. And then, like you said, those, those are facilitated with local churches, um, that's that sounds like something great because so many schools don't offer anything like that. But uh, they they're supposed to, right? Schools are supposed to, is that right? Allow these well, groups yes. in. Yes. Yeah. W- what happened was, of course, f- First Amendment is very important in this issue. But w- we won a a uh, United Supreme Court case in two thousand and one, uh, vote six to three, uh, that. C- sort of affirm that the right of that First Amendment in the public schools uh, for religious groups. Okay. So we have equal access. Basically, they cannot, schools cannot d- discriminate against our group because of our religious content. That's what that okay. Supreme Court case was all about. And, uh, and so the doors are open, literally. Yeah. Uh, the doors are open. I mean, if the school has other groups, Girls on the Run, 4-H, whatever, Boy Scout, whatever they have, other groups, they cannot decline the Christian group. That's what that legal case was about. And so we partner with local churches, we train the team, we plant that lighthouse for the gospel in that public school, 
And then, of course, because mm-hmm. it's the, the individual from the church that are ministering, they're trained and they're ministering, then at the end of the club, because these are after school, when the kids come pick up the kids, you gradually develop a relationship with the, ki- with the parents. And mm-hmm. so many times you end up impacting not just the kids but the families. I'll tell you a really cool story that I heard recently that encouraged my heart was these two twin girls. We actually have this video on our website. Those These two twin girls that uh, started attending Goodness Club – they got saved. Of course, when kids get excited about something, they go home and that's all they talk about. Uh, mm-hmm. Mom and dad weren't Christians, and, and dad had a huge problem with alcohol. And and uh, and so gradually, it it, it picked peaked in interest in their in their hearts and began to impact them. So eventually, they go to church. Eventually, they get saved, and the whole four of them were baptized on the <laughs> same Sunday. It was a, it's a beautiful story because when you minister when churches and believers minister to kids, you're really ministering to the whole family. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, of course, the power of the gospel is at, at work, just like it says in, in, in Romans 1, the gospel is the power of God for salvation yes. to everyone who believes. Yes, praise the Lord. Uh, you also have five-day clubs. Uh, this sounds a little bit like a VBS kind of uh, layout. But yeah, it's, it's similar. Yeah, similar, yeah. Five. It's similar. Mm-hmm. It's just a location that's different. Sure. See, our, our heart, even from the beginning of our founder until today, um, <clears throat> is the unchurched kids. We do a ton to help the church. We do tons of training to help the church. We are passionate about ministry in the local church, and we're passionate about connecting the children that mm-hmm. we minister to back into the local church. But our heart really beats for unchurched kids, for those kids out there that never heard the gospel. And unfortunately, that's a large number of the children. Mm. So our clubs tend to be located where the kids are at. That's why we have clubs in the public schools. In the summer, five-day clubs, we do them in the parks. Some people call them backyard Bible clubs. Mm-hmm. We do them uh, in the parks and daycares and camps. Wherever kids are in the summer, that's where we want to be. But the interesting thing about five-day clubs is this is that we train teenagers, we train over 3,000 teenagers in the USA every summer, and of course then a much bigger around the world. <clears throat> but we train 3,000 every summer, and these teenagers then go and teach these five-day clubs. And it's a, an amazing ministry because those kids, those elementary-age kids are looking up, to, they love teenagers, they're oh, looking yeah. up to these teenagers with great admiration. And these teenagers are teaching them about God and about Mm. Christ and leading them to Christ. And it's a beautiful thing. And the other thing is the impact that this has has on these teenagers. Uh, It's transformational. Some of them become so confident that they can they can teach the Bible. They they go to back to their churches as teachers. Wow, that's that's how powerful that summer is in those wow. teens. That's fantastic. And I know youth groups and churches can be a little insular, where they they leave the church uh, after the youth group, and then there's there's really nothing uh, going out from there. And I, that's what I like about this is having those youth. You never know; one of them might become a pastor. Uh, Moses, we are winding down here. We only have about thirty seconds left. Um, uh, digital content, social media. What can people find? Where can people find you? Sure. Well, uh, again, to find out more about the ministry, go to cefonline.com. Uh, I want to make uh, your listeners uh, aware of another ministry that we have, and that is Unite, Unite TV, Unite Radio. Hmm. Um, and those are digital platforms okay. that create a lot of content, uh, digital content for children. Uh, every kid seems you know, these days is staring at screens right. at a very young age. Right. 
And, and of course, there's a lot of trash out there. We want to put out there good content. We mm-hmm. also have Unite. So Unite TV, Unite Radio, Unite Kids. Okay. These are platforms where uh, parents can get some great Christian content to help uh, their child and their spiritual growth okay. and also hear the gospel. Fantastic. Uh, and we just are so grateful that you gave your time, even though we had some pretty serious technical difficulties. Uh, thank you so much, Moses. And uh, I'd love to have you on again sometime next year. And we can talk a little bit more about uh, your year-round events. So again, that's CEFonline.com Child Evangelism Fellowship. Thank you for being with me today. Thank you very much. And you have a Merry Christmas. You too. You too. All right. So headlines are next. Stay with me for the next couple of minutes. And we will be right back. Feedback, questions, and topic suggestions are always appreciated. Email us at comments at standupforthetruth.com. Welcome back to Stand Up For The Truth. My name is Mary Danielson. On this December the 12th, as we are careening towards the end of the year, so I had some technical difficulties in the first half, but I I think we were able to um, let people know where they could find this ministry if they want to get involved in bringing the gospel to children. What a what a great need we have today for that it's it's a mission field i believe it's a mission field no matter where you live so um part two trending headlines and developments so that you can be discerning uh, as you look at these headlines and just to stay on top of critical issues and it's hard it's very very hard but my first headline today i'm going to jump right in here i'm going to combine two articles into one so bear with me it might sound a little disjointed but you're going to get the general idea and it has to do with cyber threats and i'm surprised we aren't seeing more of that around the world uh, associated with iran and of course russia and china as well um this headline u.s scrambles to stop Iranian hackers, known as the Cyber Avengers, from hitting water utilities. And it says here, the government doesn't even know how many water facilities use the equipment that Iran is targeting. So there's a specific reason that they are targeting. Uh, the government has identified at least a dozen water utilities that have been hacked, according to a U.S. official familiar with the matter requested anonymity to share sensitive information and the number appears to be climbing because on Friday um, they uh, there were fewer than 10 utilities breached and of course only a few victims have been publicly identified um, but um, figuring out which utilities are vulnerable is one problem it says here but the government faces other issues on this um, they're not required to report cyber attacks to the government well that's not good And so the government isn't even sure how many have been breached so far. But this group is called the Cyber Avengers, and they claim to be a hacktivist hacktivist group. And they're targeting something specific, like I said, Israeli-made, of course, industrial control equipment. And this is how they're protesting the war against Hamas. Of course, this is just one way. But this group, Cyber Avengers, is is actually a front for Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps. Surprise, surprise, according to the U.S. government. So now we have Iran attacking water utilities. And the second uh, article that goes with this, that says it says, uh, breaches by Iran-affiliated hackers spanned multiple U.S. states, feds say. Iran-affiliated hackers targeted a specific industrial control device. Okay, there it is. Because it's Israeli made and it's called, there's a picture here, which you can't see, but it's called Unitronics is the device. And they leave behind a screen that says, you have been hacked down with Israel. Every equipment made in Israel is Cyber Avengers legal target. Now here's the background. A small Western Pennsylvania water authority 
was one of multiple organizations breached in the U.S., um, and the victims span many states. The FBI, the Environmental Protection Agency, and Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, known as CISA, C-I-S-A, uh, as well as Israel's National Cyber Directorate, uh, sent this out in an advisory. Um, the government is not going to take any chances now that they know about this. I mean, this is critical infrastructure, right? I mean, I'm, I'm just surprised we haven't had more of this. But CISA, the FBI, and the EPA issued an alert on Friday that urged utilities to change their industrial equipment's default passwords and disconnect the devices that the hackers are targeting from the Internet. Uh, the article goes on to say, after those vital fixes have been made, utilities should enable multi-factor authentication. Well, absolutely. I'm surprised they haven't. You have to do that to even go on social media these days. But it adds an extra login step on top of the password for access to industrial control equipment, create backups, um, so they can be restored if they are hacked. <laughs> and you're saying to yourself, like I am, why isn't this going on already? I mean, you've got to lock down th these devices. Um, the U.S. designated this group, the Cyber Avengers, as a foreign terrorist organization in 2019. And they are um, uh, targeting these Unitronics Israeli devices since mid-November. And there are uh, hundreds of such inter Internet-connected devices in the U.S. and globally, um, almost 2,000. Uh, again, they ship without a default password. All right. Um, and they have uh, experts are saying utilities, water utilities, have paid insufficient attention to this. Um, uh, other industries outside of water and water treatment facilities use the same equipment. Um, there's, so there are many uh, controllers made by Unitronics. Um, I'm surprised, again, that this hasn't happened sooner. And, of course, it's going to be Israeli-made equipment, which I'm sure is through in, uh, throughout uh, industry, industry and businesses throughout this country and the world. And it closes by saying other industries include energy, food and beverage manufacturing, and healthcare. care. Uh, the devices regulate processes including um, temp pressure, temperature, fluid flow, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's a clarion call. They're saying this is a clarion call for operators of critical infrastructure to take basic but vital security steps and more and more, I think, as we go. And now Leo Holman, as I mentioned, he has a very good article on something he called a cyber event. And it goes like this. WEF warns 2024 likely to bring catastrophic cyber event. Uh, as, and he says, Leo says, as we approach December 31st, you will inevitably hear people across the world celebrating the end of another dreadful year and cheering on the arrival of brighter times in 2024. And Leo says, it can only get better, right? And then he answers himself, I beseech you, dear readers, not to participate in this fantasy. We should expect and prepare for things to get worse before they get better. The globalists who run the world have told us in the wide open what they have planned, and it is not pretty. I'm just going to read some of this for you because he puts it so well. He says the year 2023 was no cakewalk, to be sure, but could very well be the last year in which we enjoyed a semblance of normalcy. There was no pandemic. War broke out, but it didn't come to our shores. Our paper money still buys food for our Christmas table, energy to heat our homes, even if it's more expensive than in previous years. The fact that this worthless fiat paper is still be capable of being traded for food, shelter, and other hard assets is a blessing that might not be available one year from now. You might want to take advantage of this while you can. And you know, and I've had this conversation with a lot of people 
they really are expecting the normality to just at some point stop. And you don't know when that's going to be. So continuing with Leo here, he says, while the world's superpowers remain far apart in terms of how we move forward into a new era marked by AI, digital currency, total information awareness, i.e. the surveillance state, we should expect the globalists will succeed in pushing the world closer to full-blown World War III next year. When the powder keg finally blows, the war will come to U.S. soil. We also face the destabilizing effects of another U.S. presidential election in November. Regardless of which way it goes, I see the globalists exploiting it for more chaos, confusion, and division, an environment in which their Luciferian agenda thrives. The globalist elites have done their best to inform us ahead of time what to expect. They talk a lot about cyber attacks, not the little ones we hear about daily or what we just heard about with water and other utilities because of Israeli technology. So that's complicated. No, they're talking about massive ones that will cause widespread panic among the people. In fact, they're fond of using words like catastrophic and apocalypse. Jeremy Jurgens, the managing director of the WEF, stated at their annual summit last January that a disrupting cyber event would likely take place before 2025. Leo says 2023 has come and gone. We have not seen any debilitating cyber event. If Jurgens' prediction proves accurate, then that leaves 2024 as the year for this to go down. Klaus Schwab himself Top dog at WEF warned a couple years ago about a coming major cyber attack that will make COVID look like a small disturbance, quote-unquote, shutting down the power grid, which would upend communications, transportation, banking, and healthcare sectors. And I know, uh, this is me again, and I know that um, people have talked about EMPs. I know Chuck Mister talked about that many, many years ago. And I've always had a, a problem with that because an EMP would knock out the infrastructure of any given country, including this one, for 10 plus years. Okay, I know enough about Bible prophecy to know and the headlines to know that we are headed towards this completely digitized world. Uh, buying and selling, uh, you know, on and off sh switches, depending on who you are. Can you participate in society uh, as they uh, dream it and as the Bible describes it? And so if there's an EMP, that shuts an entire country down, that takes their economy out of the world scene, which I don't think they want for America. And so I'm prefacing what Leo has to say after this. Um, and he says about that, he says, um, okay, uh, now this would allow the globalists and he, uh, would to shut down, uh, a cyber attack we're talking about, to shut down online truth tellers and use the chaos and confusion to round up their enemies. Then when their mission is accomplished, they simply turn the infrastructure back on and continue on the road of total dictatorship, minus those annoying truth-tellers like myself and so many others, many of you. And Leo, he differentiates here. He says, other, you know, an EMP attack would take 10 years or more to recover, and it would set the globalist surveillance state back decades so, uh, like I said, this has been a concern I've had for a long time. It seemed like, well, EMP or nothing, and, um, you know, suitcase bombs, and a lot of you maybe remember a lot of the headlines, Russia and Iran had these little suitcase nukes, um, and they would, you know, if they detonated that up in the upper atmosphere, that would be the end of, the, of America, as we know it, at least for, you know, sending us back into the Stone Age for a very long time. And so I, I like the fact that he differentiates here that there are cyber attacks now. It's more sophisticated than ever. There are cyber attacks now that could just, uh, you know, shut us all up. And when it comes back online, 
there's a whole new world. And the rapture could also shut all that down too. There would be a whole new world after the rapture. So just a few things for you to think about here. Leo also says, we've been warning about the death of the petrodollar for many months. Um, and it is happening. Um, uh, the U.S. stock market is is upward in recent months. Gold has spiked and then ticked back down. He says, but don't be fooled by that either. We tend to you know, take these things out of context. He says, don't be fooled by that either. The U.S. dollar is doomed. Um, and Wall Street hasn't even really noticed. He says, a major global oil producer, the UAE, abruptly stopped selling its oil in U.S. dollars. It's joining forces with the BRIC nations of Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa to forge ahead to a de-dollarized world. And that is a huge economy, and they're going to de-dollarize their part of the world. And they're expanding their membership, too, even while doing that, beyond Brazil and Russia and India uh, the UAE, uh, they want them to join Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Ethiopia, Iran, Argentina. Um, although they just have, uh, uh, they have a new conservative leader, so they may be rescinding their membership there. But he says, he goes, anyway, what this means is the U.S. will no longer be able to benefit from a situation in which it increases its military budgets and runs massive deficits financed by China, Saudi, and other states. Um, they have already started unloading hundreds of billions of dollars in U.S. Treasury. And Leo says this marks the beginning of the end for global dollar dominance. Uh, and unless the U.S. wins World War III and can dictate the terms of the peace, it will mean the end of U.S. geopolitical dominance. So we have a lot of things on the horizon here. This is a change uh, of, of magnitudes in the global economic order. Uh, and it doesn't happen without a fight. Uh, so Leo says that's why we're heading towards World War III. Very, very interesting things to watch out for. I think a lot of the listeners here know that something ugly is probably going to happen, and we are just waiting on the Lord and trusting him for all those things. Also, an article by Gatestone Institute. I like to read them. They are very much on the ball, especially when it comes to Israel. They have uh, an article called um, Hamas Creates New Terrorist Group to Destroy Lebanon. Now, this particular war seems to have no expiration date, and part of the reason I say that is because of headlines like this. Gatestone says, on December 4th, the Iran-backed Palestinian terror group Hamas announced the establishment of a new terrorist group in Lebanon. Hamas, in short, is saying that it is planning a similar invasion of Israel, but this time from Lebanon, And we're going to talk a lot more about Israel this week. We have Don Stewart this week. We have Gary Ka this week, both with very unique insights about Israel. And there is so much to unpack about this. There's so much more than what we see or hear about that is going on. But anyway, it says here, Gatestone says, Lebanese journalist Tony Bulos warned that Hamas's intention to establish a new terror group could turn it into, could turn Lebanon into Hamas land. They want it to be a new Afghanistan and attract all the terrorist organizations in the world so that it becomes an alternative homeland for rogue groups and uh, Hezbollah, of course, they have to give the okay for this. Hamas just can't run amok in Lebanon without Hezbollah saying, sure, come on over. Uh, they, Hezbollah recently permitted the deployment of 400 Palestinians affiliated with Hamas along the border with Israel. So there are there's a lot of coordination between uh, terror groups and, of course, under the watchful eye of Iran. Um, Gatestone says, uh, vanguards, oh, here's another thing in the mix here which is strictly uh, emotionally based uh, when it comes to terrorism. It says, Vanguards of the Al-Aqsa Flood, the name it chose for this invasion of Israel uh, on October 7th, when it massacred 1,200 Israelis and abducted 240, 
the reason they, they appeal to people based on the Al-Aqsa Mosque is they, they want people to think that there's holy sites in Jerusalem. They want people to think that these are under attack. It gets them all stirred up. And it's meant to ignite the passions of a, like I said, supposed holy site, supposed Muslim holy site. Um, the Lebanese, well, they're not happy about this at all. It has sh- uh, drawn a lot of sharp criticism from them. Um, who fear that this Palestinian terror group and, of course, its patrons in Iran want to drag Lebanon into a destructive war with Israel. They are not interested in this at all. Um, their decision to establish this group in Lebanon could not have been taken without uh, the approval of Hezbollah, like I said. Um, and the Lebanese, a Lebanese parliament, men, uh, parliament member, he says this is a serious mistake. Lebanon is not an arena for resistance against Israel or those who are deceived, he says. We reject this announcement. My advice to you, Hamas, do not sink into the shifting Lebanese sands. Otherwise, the loss will be great. So that's another uh, thing that's going on there. Um, you know, here's it for what it's worth. Uh, is this the war that seemingly has so many fronts and no end that brings about that uh, this peace treaty with Israel? I can't help think about that. This is a freebie today. Um, but unlike the Gog and Magog war in which God directly intervenes decisively by destroying the attackers, um, this is different. And if one man appears who can contain the potential uh, for this region-wide meltdown, uh, the world will definitely take notice. Um, so this article does raise some pretty significant questions along these lines. Um, I have another article here uh, by Damon Duck, and this was December 9th on RaptureReady.com, and it's called A Fight to the End. And what you need to remember about this war, there's there are a few things that you must remember when you're reading about this war. Number one, Israel has stated goals, and the stated goals are the elimination of Hamas, the return of the hostages, and to assure that Gaza will never again be a threat to Israel. And these, like I said, remain Netanyahu's goals today. Hamas's goals, of course, direct opposition to destroy Israel. And to continue that path until it's accomplished. So Israel has to destroy Hamas first so they can't destroy Israel. And you have to cut off the head of the one that's sponsoring it. Again, Iran. And so Damon Duck, a fight to the end, raptureready.com. Several Muslim leaders have said, leaders have said they will not allow Israel to destroy Hamas. Period. There's, you know, there's the rub. So this raises some questions. What will Iran, Turkey, Syria, Russia, Hezbollah, and others do in light of all of this? How will God respond if several nations enter the war to prevent Israel from destroying Hamas? And does anyone have a plan that will establish peace and safety in the Middle East? So I think that that is, those are the basic points of this, of this whole thing. Is there anyone out there to establish peace and safety in the Middle East? And I can't believe we're asking that at this point, but um, do your homework on that. Um, on November 28th, a son of Hamas co-founder Sheikh Hassan Youssef posted a video on X urging Israel to give Hamas a deadline of one to six months for the re- release of all the hostages. Camille, uh, kill the Hamas leaders, including his father, if they do not meet it. He also said Hamas wants Israel to release murderers in exchange for the hostages. And of course, we, we're not stupid. We know the murderers will continue to kill people. This is a vicious, vicious cycle. Um, a couple other strange things that have been going on. One hostage said um, they were locked in an attic for 50 days by a UN Relief and Works Agency employee with barely enough food and no help with medical needs. Another hostage said they were held by a Gazan doctor. 
Hamas controls the UN healthcare system in Gaza. Um, the UN connection here uh, is a little bit scary. And now we have the UN, uh, I mean the EU, concerning peace in the Middle East, according to Damon Duck here. Um, and who governs Gaza after it's over? The EU foreign affairs chief met with the heads of several Arab nations to discuss this issue. And they agreed, of course, without asking Israel, um, that the two-state solution should be adopted. The PA should rule over the Palestinian part with the assistance of the international community. Um, of course, they're not going to ask Israel what they want. So again, a, a, a standstill that is just has such incredible prophetic implications. Uh, Mahmoud Abbas denies the Holocaust ever happened. He's the head of the PA. He refuses to condemn Hamas for their savagery, etc. So um, hmm, it's a great article, and there's so much more to it. Uh, consider reading A Fight to the End by Damon Duck on December 9th. Uh, I also want to talk about, and this is going to have to wait till next week, about this eco-summit, the, the Green Summit over there, COP28. I want to talk about that next week. I have headline day on Tuesday. There's a movement to give nature the same rights as humans. What could possibly go wrong with that? So we will talk about that next week. And as we head towards um, the season of Christmas, you know how much I absolutely love hymns. And I want to talk a little bit about a hymn. And we're going to close on this note uh, today. Um, a Christmas hymn and the history of a Christmas hymn. Hark the herald angels sing. This from the book, Be Still My Soul, Inspiring Stories Behind 175 Most Loved Hymns. And I want to talk about this one today, and I think it's just a great, great story. Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Have you ever stayed at a four-star hotel? If so, you know that it's a cut above the others. Well, this is a four-star Christmas carol. The first star is Charles Wesley, author of about 8,000 hymns in his illustrious career, including Oh for a Thousand Tongues to Sing, Christ the Lord is Risen Today, and Jesus, Lover of My Soul. Those alone would make up a proud career and a half for most people, but that's just a one-twentieth of one percent of his output. His hymn texts consistently display a depth of theological content. The second star, George Whitefield, who drew crowds in England with his captivating style and simple message and then dazzled the American colonies. His preaching was a major factor in the Great Awakening that swept through America in the mid-1700s. He edited Wesley's text with this hymn, which originally began, Hark how all the welkin rings, glory to the king of kings. Welkin means sky. Third star, Felix Mendelssohn, a man of faith renowned as a composer in the early 1800s. A prodigy, he was already writing symphonies and concertos in his childhood. The tune for Hark the Herald Angel Sings come from a cantata he wrote in 1840 to commemorate Gutenberg's invention of the printing press. The fourth star is the man who put the words with the music. William Heyman Cummings, a famous tenor soloist in England, was also an organist, a music professor, and an arranger. In 1855, he noticed that a segment of Mendelssohn's cantata fit the words of Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Cummings did an arrangement matching the two, and it caught on in a big way. Maybe we need to add a fifth star, he says. The third verse of this carol mentions the rising of the sun. That's not a typo, S-U-N, sun. It's from Malachi 4.2, where the prophet predicts that on the day of the Lord, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. This is the star that sheds light on everything else, the sun whose birth the angels were heralding. I bet you didn't know that so many people had a hand in that beautiful hymn. 
Uh, there are so many Christmas hymns. Some written, there's one written by a Unitarian, Unitarian minister. They're written by so many different people, but this one has so much depth. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled, joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies, with the angelic host proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased with us in flesh to dwell. Christ Jesus our Emmanuel, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. And the last verse, which is my favorite, always gives me goosebumps, today is no exception. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace, hail the Son of Righteousness, light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that we no more may die, born to raise us from the earth, born to give us second birth. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. And I hope that when you sing that, you think of all the incredible uh, men that put that together over the years, uh, as with, like I said, so many other Christmas songs, which are hymns. They are hymns, and we actually could sing them any time, but, you know, we choose to sing them at Christmas time alone. The Joy to the World, also another great one that talks about the second coming of the Lord. So when you're hearing these hymns and singing these hymns, uh, I know we tend to just uh, sing them by rote, and they just sort, of, just sort of flow off of our tongue. But think about the doctrine and the theology that's in these hymns, because it is really, really edifying um, to be able to sing these hymns. So um, enjoy your... Uh, Christmas music. There's so much good stuff out there, even some new stuff that's been out there uh, for a few years. Uh, so, um, upcoming, that's it for today. Uh, again, we did have some technical difficulties, but um, hopefully the Lord will use it for His glory. Uh, Wednesday, tomorrow, we have a replay of Jay Warner Wallace. Thursday, Don Stewart. And Friday, Gary Ka. And uh, they are just experts on so many areas, and uh, I'm sure we will cover a lot of different things about uh, Israel in prophecy. We'd love to hear from you. Comments at standupforthetruth.com. And our closing verse. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior who alone is wise be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. Thanks and God bless. Have a great day. <laughs>